about. This is uh, Changed by Christ, is uh, Acts chapter 9, um, looking at the life of, of Saul. There's other people that have been changed by Christ, um, and we get to see that dramatically. You know, it's actually the, the time span that, that happens is actually over a few years in, um, in this, this chapter in Acts, and we'll just kind of, we'll talk about why, why that's the case. Um, but I'm reminded of, of different stories of those who are changed. And as I was uh, reading through different commentaries, um, John MacArthur's commentary on Acts uh, just says a, I'm going to read from his paragraph as he kind of summarizes the life of, of John Newton, um, who was a, a pastor uh, in England and um, uh, the writer of the hymn Amazing Grace. Uh, MacArthur writes, At a young age, John Newton went to sea, S-E-A. Like most sailors of his day, he lived a life of rebellion and debauchery. For several years, he worked on slave ships, capturing slaves for sale to the plantations of the New World. So low did he sink that at one point he became a slave himself, captive of another slave trader. Eventually, he became the captain of his own slave ship. The combination of a frightening storm at sea, coupled with his reading of Thomas Akempis' classic Imitation of Christ, planted the seeds that resulted in his conversion. He went on to become a leader in the evangelical movement in the 18th century England, along with such men as John and Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, and William Wilberforce. On his tombstone is inscribed the following epitaph written by Newton himself. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel, infidel and libertine, a servant of slavery, slavers in Africa, was... By the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. When he penned the beloved hymn, Amazing Grace, he knew firsthand the truths it proclaimed. And uh, MacArthur relates some other stories as well, but as we kind of like think and, and reflect upon that, and we just, you know, just see the summation of someone's life um, and that transformation, how somebody went from someone who was... Um, led, led a, a life that enslaved others, um, and again, was enslaved by sin himself, uh, to become a servant of Christ and, uh, and gave all that he had for, for Christ, and his legacy even you know, living on through uh, the hymn that he, he wrote. We see that, though, in the life of Paul himself. Paul, probably a greater example of that. And if you look at um, lists of, you know, even secular lists of the top 10 influential people in all of history. Um, the Apostle Paul usually is with, when the top five in uh, most lists. Because of what Paul would later become, because of how he spread uh, the gospel, because of the letters that he wrote, because of those who were really influenced by uh, him, who was influenced by Christ himself, and because of um, what he was uh, required to do for the sake of Christ. So last week, as we kind of started this, this first part of, of looking at this uh, transformation, um, we see that Christ stopped Saul right in his tracks and changed his life forever by this blinding light. And we'll read that just to kind of go over that again. Um, as I was driving to work, uh, I think probably like on Monday, it was everybody stopped the traffic. I was even uh, had to slow down because I couldn't see the car in front of me about 10 or 15 feet because the sun was right over the horizon. A plug for, you know, the time change. <laughs> um, so now you won't have that, right? At least not, not yet. Um, so, uh, you know, it just again reminded me, like this is Saul had to like just stop right there because he was bent 
on destruction. And the miraculous events that highlight God's grace in Saul's life parallel the life of every believer. Maybe you know, not down to every um, aspect of it, but there are things that we can look at and reflect upon in our own lives. Um, so let me read uh, those first 16 verses, and then we'll jump into the, the part that we had uh, that we left off at. <clears throat> verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 1 says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him away by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And that's where we paused uh, last week. Um, and we see kind of in those, those small, uh, you know, that, that those first 16 verses that Saul was first on the way to attack the church. And at some point in our lives, if we kind of reflect um, at our own lives, we either were for Christ or we were against Christ. And before we, you know, are with Christ and have submitted our lives to Christ, we're really against anything that, that he desires. He desires full submission of his people to him. And if we aren't fully submitted, we are resisting him in some way. Well, Saul was, you know, not only resisting, but trying to squelch. And he thought that he was doing something for God in what he was doing. But you can see how Satan twists um, even good intentions and makes them, you know, (laughs) made him a murderer, you know, for the sake of God. And then we see that he sees the light. And at some point, again, in our own lives, we, we pause and we reflect that at some point, the gospel kind of takes a hold of us. And, and if it hasn't, you know, that, that is where God wants us to be, to see the light that he has presented. That Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. And at some point, God needs to just kind of stop us in our tracks and say, you know what? I guess it has been me that I've been serving my entire life, and it hasn't been you, Christ. And that is one thing that repentance, changing from our desires to God's desires, is what we need to be uh, brought to our attention. And so Saul has that happen in a physical way, but it leads to his spiritual transformation. He sees that he is actually persecuting Christ himself. 
and that he needs to change his ways. That's a part of repentance. And so we see that Saul is he's fasting, he's thinking about, reflecting about his life in sober contemplation. And again, however long that period takes, whether it was like in one sermon or it was you know reflection over weeks or even months about God grabbing hold of you, eventually you need to come to the fact that um, we you know we need to submit to what God desires instead of our own desires. And then Ananias, in his life, he had to do something that was hard, and that was to go to, uh, to um, uh, lay hands on Saul. He had to face this kind of this person who he knew like just a few days ago, because um, we don't know how much time has elapsed when Ananias got his, his vision, but it had been three days that Paul had not eaten or drank um, food. So in that time period, he's gotten this vision to go. And so... Um, he has to go, you know, lay hands on somebody who was really destroying people's lives whom he knew. And there were others that had fled to Damascus that he would have either known firsthand um, of their accounts and uh, what was going on. So we'll pick it up from here. Um, verse 17. So joining the others, joining the others. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you come came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. So, um, what was the whole purpose of Ananias coming to Saul? Why did this event need to happen? Okay, yeah, we know that that is uh, Saul's mission, that he is going to go to the Gentiles, he's going to go to his countrymen, he's going to go to kings, he's going to also suffer. <clears throat> but why do you think Ananias had to come? Or why do you think Ananias came and, and uh, laid his hands on Saul? What's that? Okay, so, so to come and to gain sight and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, was that necessary? Could that have happened over time? Okay, it could have happened over time. Okay, okay. Um, when we saw the in Samaria, right, when the Samaritans uh, came to Christ through Philip, they believed, but then what happened? Who came down to Samaria? What's that? Yeah, so Peter came down and uh, laid hands on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we had that kind of conversation to talk about. Was that, were they saved at that point? Um, because, you know, we don't have in our doctrinal statement that, you know, after you come to Christ, one of the elders has to lay hands on you, or somebody in the church has to lay hands on you, um, in order for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, because that's not what we believe, right? You believe that you're, upon uh, faith in Christ, that you're immediately filled with His Holy Spirit, but this filling of the Holy Spirit was for something else, right? That 
uh, Ananias was really chosen as that representative. He wasn't one of the uh, apostles um, that was in Jerusalem, but he was kind of chosen to be that representative to lay hands because he is a part of the church in Damascus, and he is going to lay hands on uh, Saul to demonstrate that he is now one of us. He is now one of us. He is to be accepted to, into one of us. Because remember, the Samaritans, same thing. That, that's really when Peter went down there, it's to confirm that they are now accepted into what God is doing in this larger church. This is just an individual who this has happened to. Just like the Ethiopian eunuch, where it was an individual that was marked out for whatever reason that God had, we see clearly what Saul's you know, purpose is going to be, because that's who, are we, who we follow the rest of the book. Um, in Acts, and we know of, of the impact that he would have on the church. And so Ananias goes there to confirm right, that, that Saul is now part of us. And so he's, he's uh, laid his hands on him, and he is now filled with the Holy Spirit, probably the supernatural. And we see Saul later on, he does, he's able to do supernatural things um, that you know, God uses him and gives him signs to be able to confirm the message that he brings. So it says that Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, we've talked about that. So we'll see in, in other aspects when people are, are brought into um, the church, that seems to be somebody that, you know, either a group of people or a you know, specific people uh, that God has kind of marked out. We see this filling of the Spirit. We don't see Usually, that with all the ha- also happens with the filling of spirit is the speaking of tongues. And why is that? Well, speaking of tongues is usually a sign of the Holy Spirit, but in this sense, is almost unnecessary, right? It's it's unnecessary for this to happen within these individuals um, because speaking in tongues has a particular purpose, right? It's to speak another language to be able to share the gospel with those people. So we don't see that coming, but we do see that, that, that Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit and that he will be able to speak in tongues. He says that in 1 Corinthians and that he will be able, we know that he will be able to heal. Um, and we see that through the book of Acts and we'll see some other things that, that Paul uh, is able to do, at least in the part of the early church um, as the gospel is spreading. Um, what do you think the deal is with, uh, it says when he, when he laid hands on him, what happened to Saul? He got his sight back, but what happened right before that? Like what, what was the, the thing that happened? It says scales, like fell from his eyes. So if you think of kind of like fish scales or snakes have scales? Yeah, they have scales, right? You know, that, that kind of idea, like something like that fell from his eyes. What do, why do you think, you know? If you see like other people being healed from blindness, uh, what did Jesus do to heal people from blindness? Okay. Yeah, sometimes he just healed them, right? And sometimes you know there was an, there was the example of where he like spit in the dirt, right, and put it on the guy's eyes. And so, what was the purpose of that? It's kind of similar. Nothing. No. no. I know it is. I know. I know. I know. We're used to an hour later of sleep. An so. I'll, I'll give you that pass. So what's that? So it's an outward symbol of the interchange. Yeah, an outward symbol of of something. <laughs> just, just ask him. He's a witch. Just ask. 
Had your coffee? There's some more coffee over here. Plenty of cups. <laughs> Go for that. So, yeah, just a, just a physical represent, representation of something that those, you know, and again, we don't know who's there with him, but we assume that maybe his colleagues or whoever else is, is with him. So he's physically like that he was actually blind. Something happened physically. He does say that he now is able to see. And I think, again, those that, um, there are those that uh, would say that, you know, Saul, um, you know, did he actually experience a true blindness? Uh, was it something that was just um, mental? You know, again, I, I had mentioned last week that there's, there's kind of a group uh, that thought, and part of it has to do with the nature of, like, what it means to be converted and, and do you, you know, what does repentance actually look like? So you kind of get weighed into some, some kind of confusing waters there. But one of the things that they said was that really like, you know, Saul didn't really need to be converted. Like he was, a, he was following God. It was just kind of like the next step. That, and he had this crisis that, um, that he just needed to be accepted into, into the church. Um, and that he had this crisis that it wasn't really like he needed to, you know, uh, follow Christ as Lord, but it was the fact that he was having this um, inner conflict about what he was doing, and he had a guilty conscience, and it had this you know psychosomatic effect on him. Um, but we see though know, that something physically is happening, and that others are able to confirm you know what is going on when they say scales fell from his eyes, and that he regained his sight. So a physical confirmation that he is healed, and right after it, what does what does Saul do? Okay, so he got he baptized. He was baptized. And what is a baptism? The importance of baptism. What's that? Identifying yourself with Christ. Right. Outward symbol of an interchange. Outward symbol of an interchange. That. An outward symbol of an inward change. Yeah, exactly the same thing. So where that happened to him, Saul, he says, okay, I'm going now to show everybody that, no, this is real. Right? Again, it's these steps, like, do you need baptism to be saved? No. But it's that, that, ex, that, that next step of obedience is, if you truly follow Christ, right, and you're, you're willing to then show others and tell others that I identify with Christ. And that's really what... Um, you know, uh, what we see here is that Saul, whose identity was with the priests and the religious order in Jerusalem, counter to what the church is doing, is now saying, no, I'm, I'm a part of what, you know, what the church stands for. Like, I see the error of my ways. You think everyone's going to buy that right away? No. I mean... Some do, and we'll, we'll see this in a, in a little bit, but he is being obedient to what Christ has called him to do. And so kind of we, we can step back and we can say, do you guys do you remember the first church you were part of when you were saved? So Paul has now like been accepted to this group in Damascus who he actually was like, I'm here to like tear you apart. And then he's like, actually, I, I came to you know, be a part of you guys. Um, and we see that they accept him. If we think back, like, what was the first church, the church that we were a part of, um, you know, that, that each one of us was a part of when we first came to Christ? You know, sometimes it's kind of interesting to think about, like, you know, would we still today be a part of that church? You know, some of us leave churches for different reasons. Um, but 
no matter what, the first church that we were a part of when we, when we accepted Christ, right, at least they got the gospel right. No matter what, no matter doctrinal differences, no matter doctrinal issues, I, I mean, hopefully they're get, they got the, the gospel right if, if you at least came to Christ under that and God can you know, work however he desires. But this was the first church that really Saul was a part of. It's probably one of those stories like, you know, that's a good story. I remember the first church I was a part of. I was actually on my way to destroy it, and then, you know, I joined them. Um, some people have that, though, have that as their story, right? They, you know, they, they uh, were against this church, but maybe they went to kind of like learn more to actually expose the errors of the church, and then all of a sudden God arrests their heart and, uh, you know, um, opens up your eyes to, to the gospel. But God you know, has purposes in every, every aspect of this life. And this won't be, you know, uh, where Saul settles down. He does kind of have a home church that he'll settle down to. We'll get that, to that in a few chapters. But Damascus is kind of uh, the first place that uh, he is accepted and he starts to learn who Christ is and he gets, uh, you know, becomes part of what they're doing. Verses 19 through 20. So now he's kind of joined what they're doing. The Ananias kind of lays his hands on him. He has got this physical healing. He's baptized. He eats again. And now this morning time is over. And so we see now he witnesses for Christ. Verses 19 through 22. It says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So, despite Ananias' hesitation... Right, Saul appears among the disciples. Right, so um, Ananias is like, "Are you sure, God?" Right, again, we talked about that kind of that wrestling with God, and sometimes we have those times where we we feel like that. But Ananias was obedient and uh, kind of accepted him in, and and some of the others were were the same way. Right, he's now a part of the disciples, and the, and people on the outside, and I'm sure people on the inside were still kind of like a little like, "Is this right? I mean, is he you know is he just faking? You know, we'll we'll see." Well, where does it say Saul goes to preach? He goes to the synagogue. And we're going to see a pattern that forms that no matter where he goes, he goes to the synagogue first. Now, why is that a natural place for him to go? Jewish. Right, he's Jewish. So, and that's where he would have spent all his life, right, being raised in the synagogue. And what do you think his desire is? That the Jews be saved, right? Like, he was an heir and, you know, he had to have, like, Christ himself speak to him and had to have this supernatural event happen for him to be changed. But he goes to the synagogues in order to plead with those who are also in darkness, uh, or like he was, and to plead with them to come to Christ. And again, like I said, we're going to see this pattern. No matter where he goes, he's going to go to the synagogue first. Um, it hasn't kind of opened up yet to the Gentiles, but we'll get there in a little bit. So what, did, what was his message? What do you want them to know? That Jesus is the Christ, right? The Christ meaning the Messiah, the Anointed One, that the Old Testament spoke about, that this person would come, 
um, that he would save the, the Jews from their sins, that it would be Emmanuel, God, with his people, and that he missed it, that they missed it, right? And he is now trying to convince them and point them to the truth that Jesus was and is the Christ. So, was Saul's mission known at this point? Did everybody know what he was there to there what he was there to do? Meaning, like, did everybody know like why he was coming to Damascus earlier? Yes, right. It was evident. Like, you know, it's not like who's this guy that's really you know trying to trying to preach. Like, they knew his background, they knew his story, and a lot of times, sometimes, when people will look at that. And point to that as a reason not to believe the message. I mean, sometimes we, right, if, if people are untrustworthy or if, uh, you know, their life doesn't back up what they're saying, sometimes that, that ends up being a stumbling block for people. But it's more of an issue, not with the truth and the message itself, but sometimes with the messenger. Um, so while he was in Damascus, though, even though people resisted and they kind of pointed to the fact, like, you know, because remember when Jesus went to his hometown, what did they say about him? Joseph's son. Right. That he was, you know, isn't this the, the carpenter's son? Isn't this the, you know, the guy that, that he was, you know, like, he, he was one of us. Like, there's no way what he's saying is the truth. The same thing. There's, there's like, what, what do you mean this guy is going to be a part of of? you know, the church now, and talking about Christ. I thought you were against Christ. And again, they're looking at, at his life and not at the message. But Saul, did he shrink away from continuing to witness? No, it says that he um, increased the more in strength and he confounded the Jews by preaching that Jesus was the Christ. If we think back to when we were first saved, you know, how bold were we in our testimony? And sometimes, you know, again, we have our own story about how we came to Christ. Um, I just know for me, like I was in, uh, you know, I was, <laughs> I was living in a fraternity house, and uh, I just remember all the conversations that I had, and people were like, you're crazy. I mean, <laughs> um, and so, but it, it was like, you know, again, like I felt so, like my life, my understanding, my life, and all of those things had changed, um, and I was getting that same resistance. Well, like last month, you know, <laughs> you were doing this. Or, you know, remember that story a year ago? And you're like, let's not talk about that story, right? Um, but, but there was this kind of like boldness because Christ was new. And Christ, this, this, you know, the saving power of Christ like opened up your own eyes. And so it gave you kind of this boldness to kind of talk no matter what people said. I know it sounds crazy. I think it sounded crazy too. And they had this persistence. And we see that same thing in Saul. No matter, even though he had resistance, um, he was being strengthened by the Holy Spirit, and he continued to preach the Word of God. Verses 23 through 25, we're going to see a little bit more of that resistance actually come uh, more tangible. Instead of just people being confused, it comes to kind of outward rejection. Verses 23 uh, through 25, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot had become known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Well, it says when many days had passed. And we kind of see that a little bit earlier in uh, verse um, 
20, or verse 19, it says, you know, many days had passed uh, there as well. How long had many days been? Uh, because really we're getting like a few verses. Like, you know, he's blinded, doesn't eat for three days, Ananias lays his hands on him, and then some days had passed, he's preaching, and then some days had passed, and we're thinking probably like, I don't know, a couple weeks, maybe a couple months. It's actually, if you turn to Galatians 1, um, or I can read these verses to you, verses 17 and 18, and Paul is kind of recounting, you know, after, you know, kind of in his conversion, what happened. He says, um, I did not go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia, and then I returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remi- uh, remained with him for 15 days. So at this point, we're going to see that, that uh, the next place that Saul goes in Acts is Jerusalem. So how many years had passed? Did you catch that? So three years had passed in this time. When he says many days. So three years had passed that, uh, that Saul had, had preached the gospel, that he went away into Arabia, uh, went kind of into the desert. Um, we don't know how long that he was there for. Uh, but he came back to Damascus, and it is this time, because once he goes from here, he goes down to Jerusalem, um, and he'll come back to Damascus and then go down uh, to Jerusalem. That three years had elapsed, and it's in that three-year period of time that Saul says that it was Christ who really ministered to him and, and taught him and spoke to him, that he went back through the scriptures and, and looked at um, all the things that he had learned, you remember, you know, again, he, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees in his lifestyle. He was under the teaching of Gamaliel. We'll see that uh, later on. He, he mentions that. Uh, he was a highly respected uh, Jewish um, leader at that time. And so he's, he's got to undo some of his thoughts, you know, and, and thinking and start thinking with that lens of who Christ is and seeing Christ all over the pages of Scripture. And we kind of talked about that in chapter 1, that once uh, the Holy Spirit kind of fell upon uh, the apostles and after the time that Jesus was with them, that we kind of said that they were probably pouring back through the Scriptures and starting to see, because remember when Peter was saying, okay, well, we need to replace Judas, he goes to some different Psalms. And because he's looking at now all of these verses through the lens of Christ and seeing Christ all over the pages of Scripture, and that Saul is being brought up, you know, kind of with that now understanding, being empowered, because Saul has a mission that God has uh, marked him out for. But it's not right away, right? So it's not just days after that. It's actually a time of cultivation, a time of several years, right, that, um, that God is pouring into him in order to go out and to do this mission. When he comes back to Damascus, uh, the people, the Jews there are kind of, kind of tired of, of Saul's, <laughs> Saul's persistence. And uh, it says that they wanted him, wanted to kill him. Um, why do you think they wanted Saul dead? It's pretty extreme, right? What's that? Okay. He's trying to, trying to convert Jews to Christianity. Um, what else? Not only just trying, what's that? He was one of their main leaders. He, he changed. Okay. So, yeah, he's one of their main leaders, and now he changed. And so others might you know, be seeing like he might have still, still some influence uh, that other people might be pausing and thinking, like, well, if this guy could change, I mean, 
you know, maybe, maybe I've got it all wrong. But what else? What, what kind of similarities, too, do you think that Saul, because uh, they wanted to kill Stephen, too, and they did. What do you think uh, some similarities between Saul and Stephen were? Okay, so knowledge of the Jewish history. And what, what, was, what was the description about, about Stephen? Remember that he was what? Full of what? Spirit. Full of spirit, full of wisdom, right? And that when he spoke to the people, like, it, was, they, it was very frustrating because it was the same thing. Why did they want to kill Jesus? Because every time they try to come to Jesus and try to set him up, they, as smart as they thought they were, they were like, we got no answers. And so they wanted to kill Jesus because they couldn't, they couldn't argue with him. Um, and so the only thing that they could do then was to maybe physically stop him. Same thing with Stephen, is that they couldn't argue with him um, that the Lord had empowered them to speak in such words that they were confounding the people, right? And so that's the same thing, is that Saul you know, had come back, he's been empowered, and that no matter what, like, they could not argue with what Saul had said. He knew the scriptures, and now, at every turn in scripture, he's saying, like, no, that's Christ. No, that's Christ. And so the only thing they can do is that they wanted, it got to the point that they wanted to just silence him, and they wanted to kill him. This is not going to be the first time this happens. Um, we see early on, again, in this ministry, and at the very end, we're going to see uh, the book of Acts. Uh, people are wanting to kill Saul. The Lord, the Lord has said, you know, not, it wasn't his time. Just like Jesus, right? They wanted to, when he was in Nazareth, they wanted to do the same thing. And uh, he slipped away through the crowds. So, when you became saved, and again, that, this, you know, even stretches on today. Is there anyone that has given you resistance because of your faith? As a result of your conversion. It might not have been as eloquent as you know, as Saul, um, right? And a lot of times we use that sometimes as maybe an excuse. Well, I don't know what to say or I don't know what to do. Um, but we know over time, right, and that's sometimes what, what makes us uh, either hesitant to share the gospel is because we know over time we're like, start sharing with people and then they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, you get that resistance, right? And sometimes that makes us actually like shrink back because we know when people like argue against us that sometimes we're like, oh yeah, well maybe I didn't, you know, Maybe I could have said that a little bit different. Or we know that it brings, um, uh, you know, it, it brings division between the people that we have a relationship with. But we, but we see that evident in Saul's life. And so how it says that Saul was, was lowered through an opening in the wall, um, and that uh, so Damascus was a walled city. Uh, like uh, different cities at that time, those walls would have been used for protection. There were gates that come through. So people were standing by the gates, like the way, only way in, the only way out, uh, looking for Saul. They see him. They're going to, to murder him. And so he slips out a window, and they're lowered through a basket uh, in the wall that would have been either used for defense um, or for bringing up goods um, through other means. So they could lower down a basket, you know, lower down money, put bread in. Lower, uh, bring up the basket. And so that would have been a way that um, Saul was able to escape. So verses 26 through 31, we see uh, Saul is going to join a new group of believers. Verse 26, so he, he escapes through a basket, and it says, and when he had come to Jerusalem, so that, that language uh, gives us an understanding that right after D- uh, Damascus, he goes down to Jerusalem. 
And he attempted to join the disciples. They were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Christ. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being uh, built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. I mean, imagine uh, trying to, somebody who had earlier uh, tried to assault you, tried to, you know, maybe, you know, um, arrested your friends, dragged them out of their house, maybe even you personally, and then says, hey, I, I want to join you. Um, Right? He attempted to do that in Damascus, but you know, he was just on the way to do that. But in Jerusalem, he had actually done that. Right? People had scattered because of what he had done. Now, three years has passed, but three years is not enough to erase the memory of who this guy was. The first person that was killed that the people would have looked up to. Right? Stephen would have been somebody that they would have loved um, that you know, was looking out for the widows, right? that was teaching in the synagogues, that was you know, preaching. And then he was pulled away and then dragged out in the streets and murdered right? by, by being stoned. And Saul was right there you know, approving of the thing and then, you know, again, dragging him out. And so his, his, the memory of Saul would have been stained in their brains about who this guy is, and now he wants to join them. And so they're like, whoa, <laughs> Let's, uh, let's put the brakes on this. I mean, this is, a, of all the things, I don't know, if, if we ever think like, you know, and often we think about the story of the Good Samaritan that kind of uh, highlights the fact, like, who is your neighbor? But I know there's times that sometimes we think, you know, uh, that person is, is not good enough for the gospel, right? And that's sometimes our attitude is like, you know, like judgment, God's judgment needs to be upon this person, that, that would have been probably in their hearts that, you know, like, he did a lot of damage. Like, he probably needs to suffer for this. Now, we know that he will suffer for those things because that's what, that's what Christ himself said, that he's going to suffer for my name's sake. But the disciples, they kind of, they kind of have their guard up, and they're like, I, I don't know. We, I mean, this is just too real, too, you know, it's like forgiving the person who murdered somebody you loved, right? If you kind of think of those courtroom examples of like forgiving somebody and you say like, would I be able to do that? I hope God would give me that strength to be able to forgive somebody who, who had bloodshed on their minds. But we see somebody standing up for Saul. And who was that? Barnabas. It was Barnabas, right? Is that who, those who, uh, they called him the son of encouragement, um, he stood up for Saul. So what does that probably mean about Barnabas? Okay. So he might, have, he might have seen, like, you know, evidence that maybe fruit that, that showed, I don't know, I think his life has changed. Um, what else? I mean, what does, Barnabas, what does Barnabas say to kind of explain what happened to Saul? What does he mention? What's that? Okay, so he preached boldly. Like, he, you know, he, he preaches boldly. Uh, what about right before that? What happened to 
What happened on the road to Damascus? Now, who knew what happened on the road to Damascus? Okay, Saul did, right? You know, Ananias did, uh, maybe a couple of his companions. I mean, maybe it spread out. But when we see later on in the book of Acts, anybody, anytime that they ask Saul about like what he believes, he goes back to that time and starts talking about that time. So what does that mean? That Barnabas probably did what with, with Saul? Yeah, he probably talked to him. And more importantly, he, he probably listened, right? You know, like, well, why don't you tell me, you know, why, like, kind of, why, why should we let you in? And so he just starts kind of saying, like, listen, like, this was my heart. I was, I was dead against you. And we looked at that, those verses last week that's later in, um, uh, I can't remember, it was Acts 26 or so, no, before that. 23, I think, um, where, he, uh, where he says, like, listen, I was there. I was going to destroy the church. I had, I had murderous thoughts. I had those intentions, and then God just kind of stopped me, changed me forever, right? And Barnabas is, like, listening. All right, well, keep talking. Like, keep, like you know, keep talking. And then he looks at his example, all right? This is what he says happened, all right? And then, like, let me see, you know, what he's doing. No matter what, Saul is continuing. He's like, I don't really care what you guys think, right? I... I I'm going to do what God is compelling me to do. And, and his mission, he knows that he is there to preach um, preach the gospel. And so who does it say that he disputed with? The Hellenists, okay. Um, who also did this? You guys remember? Stephen, right? Stephen... Uh, uh, argued with the Hellenists. It was a, di- a couple of different groups. Um, a Hellenist, remember, the Hellenists are those that are Greek speakers. Um, Hellenism is the uh, spread of Greek culture that Alexander the Great did. And so there was kind of Hellenistic uh, synagogues, those who probably would have taught in, in Greek. They probably would have read uh, the Septuagint. And then you had more the Hebrew synagogues, and they would have, um, you know, read. Uh, I guess read the Torah in, in Hebrew, and also um, would have spoken either Hebrew or Aramaic. And so we see that Saul is arguing with the Hellenists, just like Stephen did. Well, what was the Hellenist reaction to Stephen? What's that? Not good. Not good, okay. And what's their reaction to Saul? They wanted to kill him too, right? And so it seems like the Greeks, uh, those who, who uh, are... Um, more prompt to, uh, to display their aggression um, with, uh, with that. And there's, there's you know, different reasons you could look at for that. Um, but he went, he, he disputed with them, and we get the same reaction that Stephen did. And so the disciples heard about it. And so at this point, we see that, you know, it says that when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So to Caesarea... You guys remember who was in Caesarea? Philip, yeah. So you kind of have Philip. You know, we don't know if he stopped there, but he might have said, you know, hi to Philip. Uh, <laughs> and again, Philip kind of made his way there because of Saul. You know, again, some of those ironic things. But he probably would have gone through Samaria up to Caesarea, which was on the coast. And that's really why he went to Caesarea. So he could get on a boat and go to Tarsus, which was uh, just up the Mediterranean um, on uh, the coast of uh, southeast Turkey or Asia Minor at that time. So he went to Tarsus, back where he was from. And so it was kind of like, all right, getting a lot of heat on you, Saul. So why don't you go and uh, just, just, you know, go back home, maybe take some, take some time off. We'll let things settle down here um, because you arguing with the Jews is only creating tension. You know, if you think about this, 
he was early on, you know, in his, uh, his following Christ, you know, probably had a lot of enthusiasm, wanted to argue with others. Um, you know, some, I remember when I was at, when I was first uh, a part of a church, you know, there was a group of guys that our, our pastor was, you know, pouring into. And uh, sometimes you become uh, a little bit bold and sometimes a little bit zealous in the wrong reasons. There was this big uh, mega church that was like down the road and they had this Bible study and like I think a couple hundred people went. And uh, the guy that was leading it, you know, somebody had said, yeah, he's teaching about these, you know, these things. And we we're like, well, let's go and be a part of it. Like, you know, I think there was about 10 of us that went and we'll kind of split up. And it was like in this big like, you know, auditorium and people kind of split up and went to different tables. And so we were all kind of spread out. And, and that was like, we were like, we're going to break this thing up and point them to the truth. And, and we were, you know, we were ignorant, right, um, about how things were. And the, the guy did teach some weird things. Um, he, I, I mean, anyway, so we can talk about that. Um, and it was interesting. Like, I remember thinking, like, but it was good to see that people within the own, their own church was, like, arguing against with him. Like, one of the things he kind of talked about is kind of a side thing, but just about the, the parables of the four seeds, you know, most of the traditional reading is that the three seeds are those who are, are not saved and only the last seed who multiplied, who showed fruit of it, are saved. He kind of did the opposite. The first three, the only one that wasn't saved was those who were snatched. And so, um, anyway, so uh, just a, an unorthodox teaching. But those within their church, I remember, kind of stood up. And, and I just remember, like, thinking, like, what were we there to do? Like, we're just going to, like... You know, flip over tables and be like, you know, but there were there were those that continued. You know, they would we'd go to different church, they would go to different churches and pull the pastor aside and be like, you know, what you just taught was you know error. And uh, not that there's you know not times and places to point out people's errors and things like that, um, but uh, you know maybe a little bit brashness. Not, you know, we don't know exactly with Saul, but that that can happen with those who are who are new believers. But he's there. He's just like I'm. You know, I I know the truth, and I want to speak the truth. And sometimes tempers flare, and it takes others to be like, okay, let's just uh, let's just pull you off to the side. Let's kind of you know again some of the more uh, uh, you know experienced those who are apostles were like, hey, let's just go. You go back home and come back. You know, God's not done with you. We're just going to take a break. Um, for a minute, because we don't want heat to kind of be brought back up because it just meant more issues within the church. So when Saul left, what was the result? All right, he went off to Tarsus, and then it says the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria. So we now see the church now spreading through Samaria and even, even further out into the parts of Galilee. Um, so all of Israel, it says it had peace and was being built up. Right? They were walking in the fear of the Lord. Um, when uh, judgment happens, you see people kind of walking in that fear of the Lord. But it says also the comfort of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was guiding them and directing them. And that, yes, probably turmoil and things you know, happened, but they were able to use wisdom and the Holy Spirit to guide them. And it says, as a result, the church continued to multiply. And so Saul was led to kind of there. He was, he was only there. He says, he, how, how long do you, do you remember how long he stayed there from his, uh, that verse in uh, Galatians? 15 days. 15 days, yeah. So he was there for 15 days. So in a matter of two weeks, like, people wanted to kill him there, right? So uh, just Saul had that effect on people. Um, uh, and some people do. Um, and 
right or right or wrong, you know. Again, what he was saying was was probably accurate and truthful, but um, the people were were not were were very hardened because they had heard the gospel for years. And uh, here's another guy, one of us, you know, that is now trying to do the same, and it just got them angry. And so, uh, so we can think about kind of even our own journey, how God brings us from one place to another, to another church, you know, perhaps. And we're going to see that he goes up to Tarsus, and then he's going to end up landing at another place that's going to really be his kind of, well, I'll call it his home church. Um, but, uh, you know, think about those times when we were, you know, moved from like one church to another. And what were the circumstances that brought you there? Uh, was it people wanted to kill you and you had to be lowered out, you know, snuck out of town? Probably not. But there are other things that factors that bring you from a church. It could be just a moving experience. It could be something, you know, could have been a doctrinal difference. It could be something, you know, within, within that. But what brought you to that new church? And were you accepted in that new church? Um, were you like, were there people like Barnabas that kind of brought you in? Um, and we can be, always be thinking like that when we, when we as a church kind of look to others. We don't know the circumstances of people that get brought to our own church. How can we kind of listen to them and hear them out and accept them um, and even guide them and coach them, right? You know, just like the disciples said, you know what, you know, let's take a break for a little bit. Didn't shun them because we'll see that they have a good relationship after that. But um, we see that in our own lives, you know, we can, we can uh, see how Christ transforms us. Because really the Christian faith is, is one of transformation. Um, it's from darkness to light. It's from slavery to freedom, it's from condemnation to salvation, and uh, we see that in Paul's life, right? At the very beginning of chapter 9, he was attacking the church, and then he sees the light, and then he changes his ways, he joins the others, he witnesses for Christ, he receives resistance, and then he joins a new group of believers, and he's moved on to the next thing. And that's just kind of the pattern of how God can work in our own lives. Every believer has a transformation story. It's a really beautiful aspect of the Christian faith. And so when we look at the examples here, we can be encouraged, but also we can look at our own lives and also be encouraged how God has taken us from, you know, maybe it's years back when the Lord transformed our hearts. You know, there's still things that we struggle with, you know, that we're always reminded of, of how sin still traps us, but how the Lord took us from a lifestyle of only pleasing ourselves to at least um, desiring to please our Lord and how he kind of moves through different events and people to bring us to where we are today. So that kind of wraps it up. We're actually going to see, uh, go, we're going to go back to Peter uh, next week for a little bit and then uh, transition back to, to Saul um, after that. Any uh, closing comments or questions or as we end? All right. Well, uh, you guys are dismissed. We'll uh, pack up the chairs.